So I've got a little personality test for you, if you will. I, I want you to picture yourself in a bookstore, all right? Some of you, that's going old school, or, or picture yourself in a section of Amazon um, uh, looking for a book. All right, so I want you to picture yourself there, and, 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 and I want you to think about where you are in the bookstore, because where you are in the bookstore might tell me a little bit about you and about your personality. Um, if you're like me, you might find yourself in the bargain book section. Uh, if you're at Barnes & Noble, it's the section right when you walk in the door, because if you're like me, you're cheap, right? I have been accused of having a champagne taste on a beer budget, right? That means we're cheap, right? And, and we like the deal. We like stuff on sale. Uh, and, and, and so that's where we're drawn to. What if, though, you're not in the bargain section? What if, what if you're in the popular book section? So you're in the section that if you're at Barnes & Noble is over by the cash registers because that's just where they put them and they put them there for a very strategic reason. But that's where all the voices are saying, this is what all the all the people in the know are talking about. This is what they're reading. This is what they're thinking. And maybe you're there because you like to be in the know and you like to know what is gonna be talked about at work when you go back. And, and so maybe you're there. Or maybe you're, if you're at the Barnes & Noble in the mall, you're in the kids area upstairs. And maybe you're an adult who's there because you have kids, and, and so you want them to be exposed to children's literature. Um, you want them to play with the little Thomas the train set that's up there so you can enjoy your Starbucks while they're doing that. Or maybe you're an adult who doesn't have kids and just likes teen fiction, and so you're up there uh, reading the, the latest um, teen fiction book. But what if you're in some other part of the store? What if you're in another part of Amazon? See, here's, here's why I think people are in those other parts, at least why I've gone and, and possibly why you're there too. If you're in any other part of the bookstore, you're there because you have a question that needs an answer. It might be about the DIY section. You want to add on to your house or you want to redo your closet. And so you want to get a book that, that tells you how to do that and gives you some ideas. Maybe, maybe you love crafting and so you want to kind of see what the latest stuff is in the crafting world. And so you're there. Maybe you need to relax and so, so you're in that section. Maybe you want to see the world and so you're in the traveling section. Or maybe, maybe it's because you have a bigger question than that. As a matter of fact, one of the largest sections at any bookstore, and this is true whether you're on Amazon or whether you're at Barnes & Noble, is the spirituality and self-help section, is the largest section. And maybe you found yourself there in this imaginary bookstore because you have a big question that needs an answer. And see, here's what I think is true about all of us as we come here today, that we all have big, unanswered questions. And when you're here today, chances are you have a big unanswered question. I've got them. I would imagine that you've got them. Part of what I do here at Fellowship is, as, as lead pastor and part of my gifting and, uh, is I do some counseling here. Part of my week is dedicated to counseling and, and I get to hear those big unanswered questions in people's hearts. Those questions that they just don't have an answer for, and some of them are really big. And I've had some of those questions and have some of those questions that are still really big and unanswered in my heart, and some of those questions might be something like this. What do I do with my life? 
You know, people finish college, they get a master's degree, they start a job, and all this time and money they've poured into this, to this career becomes a job really quick. And they're wondering if that's what they were made to do. What do I do with my life? What am I good at? What am I made to do? So the question is, why do I keep overspending? Why do I keep overeating? Why do I gravitate towards those things? What kind of parent am I? What kind of friend am I? I have cancer. What do I do? I hate my boss. I hate my job. Maybe at times I hate my kids. I hate my parents. I hate my life. Now what? I'm lonely. How do I not be lonely anymore? I'm single. How do I... How do I be single and happy and content when the world around me is pointing me to marriage and, and kids? Or how do I date? How do I find a spouse? How do I stay married? See, these are just some of the questions that people bring, some of these big unanswered questions that people have. And they want answers to them. But the biggest question out of all that, as you wander through this store, as you browse the page on Amazon, the biggest question Behind that question is who has the right answers? When I'm standing there in that spirituality and self-help section with these big questions, what author do I trust? Because they're listed alphabetically. Which, which one do I go to? Who has the right answers? Are the right answers at an aisle in Barnes & Noble? Are they a click on Amazon or a search on Google? You see, this question right here is the question that you have to deal with, that I have to deal with, is where do we go to find the answers to these big questions that we have? Who do we listen to? Well, we started this series in Hebrews last week called Greater Than. And we're calling the series Greater Than as we work our way through Hebrews because we're going to see time and time again that Jesus is greater than. That's what that symbol is up there, by the way. He's greater than. He's greater than our ups and our downs. He's, he's greater than our fears. He's greater than our doubts. He's, he's greater than our successes. He's greater than our failures. He's greater than. And today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to do verses 4 through 14. And if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, and you can be on page 842 if you're looking at that Bible, or you can look on your phone into the Bible app, click on events, click on Fellowship Asheville, and uh, you'll find us there. And, and all the announcements are there. Um, the scripture for today is there. And it's even a place where you can take notes. And last week as we started the book of Hebrews, we saw that this letter to the Hebrews is different than the other letters in the New Testament. Because the other letters in the New Testament were written like letter, letters. And they start off with greetings and salutations and ends with, with an end with like see you laters and grace and peace to you and all that stuff. But the book of Hebrews is different. It doesn't start that way and it doesn't end that way because it's a different form of communication. The book of Hebrews was actually a sermon that was preached to a group of Hebrew people. And the preacher, the author of this, the preacher wanted to communicate to this group of Hebrew people that Jesus is greater than, that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And so, so what he's going to do, because it was to a group of Hebrew people, like any good preacher would, is he's going he's to preach to them in a way that their minds and their souls will understand. And last week, he talked about how Jesus is greater than the prophets. And the prophets to the Hebrew mind, they were the most spiritual people that, that you could imagine. And last week we talked about how, how these prophets, the most spiritual people compared to Jesus, were just a Jedi in a brown cloak. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, go to our website and listen to the podcast, and hopefully it will. 
But it's why last week we saw this, that Jesus is greater than spiritual people because these prophets were the most spiritual people that the Hebrew people understood because they would show up and say, thus says the Lord. And they had this like pipeline between them and and God. And, And when they said, thus says the Lord, the people listened because it could be words of encouragement to them or it could be words of conviction to them. But when a prophet spoke, you listened because they were spiritual people. And what this preacher did is he said, yes, they were incredibly spiritual people, but Jesus is even greater than they were. But what we're going to see today is that, is that prophets weren't the only messengers that God had. That he had other messengers that would send messages from the heavenly throne room to humans. And not only would they send messages, but they would fight spiritual battles that we get to see in Scripture. And we know them as angels. And so where Jesus was greater than than spiritual people, what we're going to see today is is that Jesus is greater than any spirituality because these angels represented that spirituality. If a prophet was a spiritual person, these angels are spiritual beings. And where a prophet heard from God, an angel was with God in the throne room and heard God say and saw his finger point, you go tell them this. And so to a Hebrew mind, these angels were the most spiritual of beings you can imagine. And they represent everything that is spiritual. In a very, in a very kind of, in our times world, they represent that section at Barnes and Noble that is, that is there for, for questions, that is there for self-help, that is there for spirituality. They represented all of that. They represented a way to hear the answers to life big questions. And last week when the preacher of Hebrews spoke to the Hebrew mind, he showed how Jesus was better than prophets in seven different ways because in the Hebrew mind, when you hear something seven times, it's complete and it's done. We only need three, right? If I give you an example and give you three ways to prove it, we're done. But in the Hebrew mind, seven is the mic drop. And so, so what this preacher did is that he spoke to them and said, Jesus is better than the prophets in seven ways. And what he's gonna do today is he's gonna say, Jesus is better than these angels. Jesus is better than any spirituality, not in seven different ways, but with seven different passages of scripture, seven different verses from what we call the Old Testament. They called their Bible because they didn't have a New Testament. They had one Testament. And he's going to take seven passages of Scripture and say, this is how Jesus is better than these spiritual beings. Jesus is better than any spirituality. Look at verse 4, and we'll dive in. He says, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so what he's doing is he's moving from talking about prophets to talking about angels. And he's saying the name that Jesus inherited is much more excellent, much better, much greater than the name that the angels were given. And and this word inheritance, we talked a little bit about it last week. When when we hear the word inheritance, we think that when someone dies, we get an inheritance, right? We get what they had. The problem is God the Father doesn't die, right? God isn't dead, and yet Jesus has this inheritance. And what this inheritance is is authority. That whenever you see Jesus, you see God. And any authority, any, any, any power, any weight that God has, Jesus has. And so it's when Jesus is standing before his disciples, before the ascension. He says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, because I'm with you and make disciples. And it's this picture of inheritance is authority. And this, this, this preacher is saying that authority rests on Jesus because it is God's authority that Jesus holds and Jesus has. 
And the authority of Jesus is much greater than these angels and these spiritual beings. And now he's going to show how. But before he does, let me remind you of what we opened with. This question that I threw out there is, is who has the right answers? Where can we go with life's big unanswered questions? The angels are from the throne room of God. But yet we're going to see Jesus has a greater authority than they do. Look at this in verse 5. It says, For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so this preacher is saying, did God ever say that to an angel? That you're my son? No, he didn't. Now, angels are called sons of God. As a matter of fact, when you look at the book of, of Job, there's this, this, this great section of Job where God calls all the, he calls them sons of God to his courtroom, to his, to his throne room. And, and who's there are the angels, and they're called the sons of God. And yet, the Bible sets apart one person as the son of God. Angels are plural, but the Son is singular. You see, Jesus' authority, what this preacher is saying, is that Jesus' authority comes from this better relationship with God. Where they are sons, he is the Son. Angels are sons of God, yet Jesus is the Son of God. He is God's Son. He is part of the Trinity. He is God and of God, and the angels are sent from God to do God's bidding. And so Jesus has this greater authority. Look at verse six. It says, and again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, and so now the, the preacher is saying, okay, so, so, so you know, you have the spiritual world and, 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 and they're called sons of God and Jesus is called the son of God, but what happened when Jesus came to earth? What happened when he was walking on the same ground that these Hebrews that he's preaching to were walking on? What, what did the angels do then? What did the spiritual world do then when Jesus had an earthly ministry? And uh, it says this, again, when he brings his firstborn in the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And so what did the angels do? While Jesus was leading, while Jesus was teaching his disciples, while he was, while he was um, healing people and showing them and telling them the gospel, what did the angels do? The spiritual world, with all their authority and all their power, they worshiped Jesus as he did these things. Look at what else in verse 7. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and, and his ministers a flame, a fire. And this is from Psalm 104. And it's, and it's this really powerful language because wind, uh, the Hebrew word for wind, is, is, um, it's, it's very similar to the word for spirit. And it's ruha. And, and, and what that means is it, it even sounds like wind. It sounds like, like this movement. And so it's this picture of power. With wind, and then you have fire, and fire is this picture of, of, of power and might. You think of, of Moses standing before the burning bush, and this fire consumed it, but yet it didn't burn. And you think about the nation of Israel when they were led by night. They were led by a pillar of fire, and it's this picture of, of just the power and might of God. And, and these angels um, um, display that as God tells them to, and they display this power. And yet, even with all that power, they still bend a knee to the authority of Jesus. And this is crazy because when you look at angels in Scripture, you see them fly, you see them, you see them fight battles. 
that we don't even know about, battles that protect us and battles that lead us and guide us and battles over complete countries that they have authority and dominion over. And there's these spiritual wars going on that angels are fighting for us. We see them yield this great power. We see them transform. We see them appear and disappear. We see them show up in multitudes. We see them show up individually. And yet even with all that power, they still bend their knee to worship God. Jesus' authority, this preacher is saying, is greater than the angels because he's got a greater position than the angels do. These angels are powerful, yet they bend and worship to Jesus. And look at where else this greater authority comes from in verses 8, 8 and 9. It says, but of the sons, and now he's talking about Jesus. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, and you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And, and, and what the preacher is doing here is he's pointing to this throne of God, and, and it is this eternal throne. Uh, it's not a throne that a, that a king sits on. Uh, that's made out of wood or gold. I actually got to meet an African king once who sat on a wooden throne and had his scepter. But you know what? He's not the king anymore. Somebody else is in his, plot, in his place. This throne room is an eternal throne room. And what the preacher is saying here is that that throne belongs to the son. You see, the son whom the angels serve is the God that they worship and his name is Jesus. For those of you uh, who are kind of into this thing and, and, and about, you know, is Jesus really God? Did he ever claim to be God? Does the New Testament ever point to Jesus as God? Verse eight is one of the clearest verses that Jesus is God because what this preacher is doing is saying this throne of God is, is the throne of, of, of Jesus that they are one and the same, that when you see Jesus, you see God because Jesus is God. Look at verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all wear out like a garment, and like a robe you will roll them up, and like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. So here he's saying, listen, angels were created. They have a beginning. Most people believe Genesis 1-1, when God created the heavens and the earth, that's when God created the, the spiritual world and the angels were a part of that. Again, in Job, you see the angels applaud creation. They applaud the creation of Adam and Eve, so they were there at creation. But most people believe the creation of Adam and Eve, but they believe that they were created when God created the heavens and the earth because that means he created the spiritual world, so they have a beginning Even though they may not have an age, they have a beginning. But Jesus, on the other hand, was eternal. That Jesus was there doing the creating because he is God. Jesus has no beginning and no end. And his authority, this preacher is saying, doesn't come uh, only from a greater relationship with God. Doesn't come um, um, only from a greater position with God. but, But it also comes from the fact that he is eternal as God. You see, angels may be immortal, but Jesus is eternal. In verse 13, he says this, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet? You see, Jesus' work is done, and he is sitting down. 
This is an important theme in our Bible, that the gospel is complete, that what Jesus came to do was done, that, that his death and resurrection, that, that paid the way, that, that covers the, 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 that paid the way of your sins so that you could have this good and right relationship with the God who loves you and made you and it's this personal relationship with him, that Jesus did that and that gospel is done. So if you're here today and, and church is something that you think it's about what you do and what you don't do, it's not. It's about what Jesus did and his work has done. And you can come to God through Jesus and enjoy this personal relationship with him. And that gospel is done. There's only one time in the entire New Testament, at least from what I understand, there's only one time in the entire New Testament where Jesus is standing up after his, after his ascension, after he goes into heaven. And it's when Stephen, who is a follower of Jesus and a is sharing the gospel with people. And the Hebrew leaders don't like it. And they tell him to stop, and he doesn't stop. And so what they do is they throw rocks at him and stone him to death. And as he's dying, the scriptures say he looks up and the heavens open up and he sees Jesus standing. And it's the only time in the New Testament you see Jesus standing. Even in the book of Revelation, he comes in riding on a white horse. He's still seating. But this time he's standing. And I believe he's standing because he's welcoming Stephen into heaven. And, and a lot of commentators think this, and I do too. I think Jesus is standing because he's going like this. Well done. Well done. And the rest of the time, he is seated because his work is done. You see, angels stand, yet Jesus sits. And here's the greatest example of his authority is greater than their authority. In verse 14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And so this one's directed to you and to me and to this Hebrew audience that's listening to this preacher preach. And he's reminding them that, listen, remember, an angel's job is to serve, and you're the beneficiary of that service. That when they leave the throne room of heaven and come to tell you what God has told you. It is for your benefit that they're doing that. Because you are the ones who inherit salvation. Jesus died for you so that you can have this good and right relationship with God. And angels are designed to serve you. Which is why angels serve and Jesus saves. So I remind you of the question, and so this is what this preacher is doing. Jesus is greater than even these most spiritual beings. He's greater than any spirituality. And so, so the question that I threw out there at the beginning is, where do you go for answers to, life, to life's biggest questions? Well, this preacher is showing us, just like he showed this group of Hebrews. You go to the one who has the greatest authority, is what he's saying. Your best answer comes from the best authority. Now, um, when I uh, graduated college, I was a school teacher. And so after my first year of teaching school, I had, you know, an entire like 10 weeks off. And it was awesome. And my first year of teaching, I thought, what am I going to do with my first summer? And, and I decided to go backpacking across Europe. So me and a friend were going to go together, and they ended up not being able to go. And, and they were like, well, are you still going to go? And I was like, I guess. I guess I'll go by myself. This will be an adventure. Scary. Uh, when I got off the plane in London um, by myself um, to figure out where to go and how to get there was a challenge, but I did. 
And I spent about a week in London was the first part of my trip. And um, uh, the little family that I stayed with, Molly and Alex, and if you're a fan of the BBC, like, you have met them somewhere on the BBC. They were the most quintessential British couple, plates of the queen everywhere. It was fantastic. And uh, one of my favorite things to do was just to hop on a train, go somewhere in London and get lost and kind of experience London, the, the obscure parts of London, the random parts of London. And so I would do that. And I found the coolest things as I was just walking around London. But the train that I had to take to get back, they lived in the Wimbledon area, and the, the train I had to take to get back um, uh, went through this homeless community that lived under a bridge. At least the only way I knew to get to the train station. Uh, I began to wonder if that was really the only way because there was one night where I was supposed to walk, uh, walk through there to get to the train station, and um, I was the only one walking that way, which made me think maybe there is another way, and I just don't know what it is. But I was freaked out because this homeless community, um, the, just from walking through during the day, a lot of what I saw was mental illness. Saw a lot of addiction, saw a lot of mental illness, and during the day, I felt okay, but this was at night, and it was just me. And, and I remember standing on this side of the bridge, kind of looking down through there that I was going to have to walk and looking at the path that I was going to have to walk and literally seeing nobody else. Because I was like, I will just act like I'm with them. Like, that's how I'll get through there. And I, I remember thinking, Jesus, what do I do? And he said, sing. I said, Jesus, what do I do? And he said, sing. So I said, that's Okay. Is there anything else I can do? And heard nothing. And so I started walking. I started singing in my head, right? Because that's obviously what he meant. And I heard sing louder. And I had this Rich Mullins song in my head, for those of you who are back in the day. Um, and, um, uh, and so I started singing, carrier, carrier. Louder, sing louder. So I sung in a regular voice, sing loud. As I'm walking, I'm getting louder and louder as I sing. And it did two things. One, it took my mind off the fact that I was scared. But two, I saw a guy literally look at me like this. He looked at me first like with this disdain in his eyes of like, why are you here? And then as I was singing, he literally went. <laughs> like, I was one of them at this point. And, and, and all of a sudden, I felt safe because like, we had this camaraderie, right? And I walked on through and got on the train and, and went back. And on that same trip, this time I was in Prague. It was a really awesome trip, by the way. Um, I was in Prague, and in Prague, there's this, there's this bridge. And across the bridge, uh, somebody has done statues of the life of Christ as you go across the bridge. And, and I've shared this story before because it's, it's very foundational to who I am as a person in my prayer life. Because one of the things I learned on this trip as I was backpacking across Europe by myself is that I was never by myself. Is that Jesus was with me all the time and I could talk to him all the time and I did. And I'm standing there before the statue of the, of the crucifixion and I notice it has these Hebrew words in gold above it as part of the statue. And I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking before the Lord is one of the things I learned on this trip, that, that prayer doesn't have to be get on your knees and raise your hands and do all this stuff. Like, like God hears our thoughts and, and knows our heart. And, and, and so I was standing there looking at the statue, thinking in my head, I wonder what those Hebrew words mean. I wonder what that means. 
And right behind me was the guy who went, holy, holy, holy. And I turned around and I said, is the Lord God Almighty? He goes, yeah, that works. He goes, I wasn't very good in Hebrew school and kind of dropped out early. But that's, I think, yeah, that captures it. And I said, okay, great. And I turned back around and then this moment hit me where I realized, wait a second. I just asked Jesus what that meant. And there's a guy behind me in Prague who knows Hebrew, speaking English out loud, answering what that means. And as I thought about that, and I had this great conversation with him that doesn't end in his salvation, unfortunately, if you think that's where this is going, it doesn't. It was God showing me that he hears me. And as I thought about that years later, I thought about everything that had to go into place to get me standing there in front of that statue, wondering about those words, to get him from New York um, to be at that same place and to say that out loud. And you think about all the travel arrangements that had to go into place. You think about his story of growing up in New York and going to Hebrew school because that's what his parents made him do and him dropping out of that school at the age of 12. So that's as far as he got in Hebrew. And so he knew the first three words because they're all one word. He knew that word, but he didn't know the rest. You think of his story and my story and how everything had to line up for us to be there at that moment so that when I thought that question before the Lord, the answer was spoken right behind me. That if Jesus has that much authority to answer those simple questions that we have, doesn't he have the authority to answer the big questions that we have? Can't we go to that same Jesus who can orchestrate all of that so that I can read some letters in Hebrew. He can orchestrate all of that. Can he orchestrate all that we need to hear the answers to the questions that we have? You see, that's the Jesus that's greater than. And so what does this look like this week? It's how do you go to him with your big unanswered questions? The, 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 the answer is very simple. And that you pray. You ask him, and you talk to him, and he's always ready and willing to hear you. And so this week, what would happen if, just like it says up there, we made every question a prayer this week? That those questions that we have, those big unanswered questions in our hearts and in our minds and in our soul, what would happen if we made those questions, those doubts, a prayer? And we place them into Jesus' hands who are, who, that are big and that are worthy and that have the authority. What would happen this week if you just jotted every question you had down and then asked Jesus to give you answers to those questions and then just waited for that answer? Chances are it won't be as fast as what happened to me on the bridge. Right? Chances are you'll be waiting. But while you wait, you can trust that Jesus who has the authority because he's greater than any spirituality. And so church, what would happen if we make every question a prayer? Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy of our questions. You are worthy of to answer them. You are, you are powerful to answer them. You, are, you have the authority to answer them, Jesus. 
So Father, I pray for us as a church that we will take those questions and we will take those doubts, we will take those fears, and we will place them in your hands uh, that are strong and able. And God, we will trust in your authority to provide the answers to those questions when we need them, which may not be when we want them, but when we need them. And that that makes all the difference for us. It makes all the difference in our relationship with you. And God, I pray right now, if there, is, there are people struggling with what question to give you, with what doubt to give you, with what fear to give you, I pray that they will um, give it all to you. And they will place all their fears and all their doubts into your hands. In Christ's name we pray, amen.